Are you ready to take your ketogenic lifestyle to the next level? Go to energizemyhealth.com where you will learn all about the Beamer therapy for your health. Now, I feel so fortunate to have discovered this life-changing technology and I feel compelled to share it with all my fellow ketonians and fasters out there. This technology could very well change the face of modern medicine as we know it. So what is Beamer therapy? Beamer therapy consists of exposing the body to low-level pulsed electromagnetic fields. Think of these magnetic fields as sound waves that permeate through every cell in the body. These magnetic signals are delivered by way of a full body mat and several focused applicators. While there are several systems on the market currently, each one touting the benefits of their unique waveforms and frequencies, the most important thing to consider when choosing among them is proof of efficacy. And not only does Beamer hold five worldwide patents on their proven technology, but the Beamer has also been shown in a blind study to be far superior to the rest of the competition. Beamer enhances blood flow, oxygen supply, cardiac function, physical fitness, strength, and stamina, concentration, mental acuity, stress reduction, relaxation, sleep management, and so much more. Again, go to energizemyhealth.com to get all the full details about Beamer and get your Beamer today. Do you want to test for breath ketones and need a breath ketone analyzer to do that? Then let me introduce you to the first reusable breath ketone analyzer. It's called Ketonics, K-E-T-O-N-I-X. Ketonics.com is their website. And you've heard me talking about them here for years. And now they have a brand new technology that I think you're going to like. It's the Ketonics Bluetooth with battery. This is the latest version of Ketonics that's coming out here in 2017. It connects with the latest iOS and Android software and it's available for mobile devices like smartphones and tablet. It is a reusable instrument that can be used thousands of times and you can record your breath ketones locally on your mobile device, smartphone, tablet, or online account at ketonics.com. You can anonymously contribute your data to studies of ketogenic diets. So again, it's the brand new Ketonics Bluetooth tooth, head on over to ketonics.com and get the latest and greatest version of Ketonics. Coming up in episode 1317, an LLVLC classic with Arn Bay. Connecting and educating and making the world a more informed and healthier place. You're listening to the Live in La Vida Low Carb Show with Jimmy Moore. You've helped change so many lives and give us all the courage to take on the rest of the world. This is the longest running health podcast on the air today. You've done so much to spread the word about how diet matters. Over 1,000 episodes strong and counting. The amount of lives that you've changed at this point is incalculable. And now, here's our host and international best-selling author you're like the ll cool j of podcasting jimmy moore hey hey guys and happy wednesday to you here today on the live in la vida low carb show and we've got an amazing llvlc show classic episode in store for you here today several years ago low carb was all the buzz in the marketing of foods and products and things that people could buy back during the heyday of the Atkins diet. And one of those companies was a company called Keto Foods. The founder of that company 
is Arn Bay. And so he was on here a few years back sharing all about why that company went under. It used to be a $300 to $400 million valued company, and then suddenly it was bankrupt. And so he talks about what happened, why the company failed, and he gives a cautionary tale for any new companies now that keto is kind of hot again, how they can thrive in the midst of the current wave and perhaps survive well beyond this wave of keto. So enjoy this LLVLC show classic episode featuring Arn Bay. Welcome back to the Living La Vida Low Carb Show with Jimmy Moore. And today I have a very special guest here on the podcast, uh, a gentleman by the name of Arn Bay. You may not know that name, but you may remember the company that he both founded and was the president of. Uh, remember Keto, the the uh, food company that made a lot of low carb products starting uh you know, in the early 2000s was really at its peak uh, around the time Dr. Atkins and his diet was doing very well and getting a lot of attention in America. Well, he is here today to talk about what happened to that company because I get a lot of emails all the time, Arn, from people who say, you ever know what ever happened to that keto company? I'm like, you know, I, I know bits and pieces of the story, but I haven't really heard the whole story from the man himself. So we're very glad that you're here today on the Living La Vida Low Carb Show. Thanks, Jimmy. Appreciate it. Well, why don't you uh, start by telling us a little more about yourself and how you got into the whole low carb business to begin with. Thanks, Jimmy. Uh, back in um, the late 60s, uh, I... Um uh, was in the manufacturing business for about seven years, uh, industrial manufacturing, and uh, then moved into uh, uh, brand consulting and uh, consulted to a startup company uh, in the uh, 80s, actually, uh, MTV Networks, and then um, helped launch Swatch Watch USA uh, in 83. And uh, by the late uh, 90s, uh, I had become interested in the nutrition business and um, I was offered a uh, financial interest in a small mail-order nutrition company uh, called Life Services Supplements. Mm -hmm. And um, the very interesting company because they were involved in life extension. And uh, through that business, I acquired quite a bit of uh, scientific uh, knowledge, if you will, especially about uh, the glycemic index and the role of... Uh, fat storage, and also the connection between obesity and increased risk for the diseases of aging and mortality. And um, the business uh, prospered, and uh, we were unusual uh, because we were vertically integrated. I was familiar with manufacturing, and so we were able to manufacture our own products, which is kind of unusual for a nutrition or, or herbal company. Usually they work with middlemen and they're typically marketing companies. Right. Um, so we had a lot of advantages because we weren't middlemen and uh, we could deliver very, very high quality products. Uh, by the late 90s, uh, uh, I um, uh, hired a formulator named Pete Maletto and uh, he was very, a very big fan of Dr. Atkins, and kind of the dots got connected between 
my knowledge of uh, the glycemic index, uh, the role of carbohydrates and sugars in fat storage. And uh, then I, my consciousness really got raised about Dr. Atkins. And um, so Pete uh, pitched me and wanted to formulate a, uh, a shake. Well, we were mostly, uh, you know, pills and uh, herbal formulations and so on, and we didn't sell many shakes. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I, I said, Pete, you know, go ahead, do that. And it tasted great. I, I adopted a low-carb diet myself and lost 15 pounds, and I was my senior high school weight within uh, probably a month or so, three weeks. And um, it was really fantastic. And Pete wanted to sell the shake to uh, the Atkins folks. He thought perhaps we could manufacture for them. <clears throat> well, the, you know, the, the, um, they weren't interested. In, and I think it was because the quality of our shake was so high that they just couldn't afford to, to, make, uh, to have us make that shake. Right. And uh, so I said, well, look, look, let's try to market the shake to our own mail order list. We had never sold more than a few hundred shakes a month, which was kind of small. And lo and behold, when we introduced the keto shake, uh, we were selling, within uh, several months, we were selling thousands of shakes a month. So what was and in I this keto shake? Low-carb uh, religion. Arn, what was in the keto shake that made it far superior to the ones that would uh, then be later created by Atkins? Well, uh, especially, what was especially uh, uh, different about the shake was the fact that it contains six different proteins of various molecular weights, from the lightest to, the, to heavier. And what that meant was that these lighter weight proteins would be absorbed much quicker, and the heavier molecular weight proteins would be absorbed slower. And so you had both immediate and long-lasting hunger relief. And we also included omega-3s, and we had very nice amounts of fiber in that shake. Right. And I want to point out that uh, we could afford to do it because we were vertically integrated, the meaning we, we manufactured our own products. Sure. And so I think people, not only did it taste great and have a great mouthfeel and all that, but people got real results from the shake. So what was the sweetener used in it? Uh, we had uh, we used Splenda, actually, uh, uh, when we had some trouble getting it, but it was mostly Splenda. Gotcha. So today, if you were to make that, it probably would not include Splenda. Would probably be made with like uh, stevia or something like that. Uh, well, you know, I I um I was at a crossroads then because uh, I it, it was kind of like triage kind of thinking. It was look, which is worse, uh, having something like Splenda or the effects of obesity. And I, I always, I thought, and I, and I still think, I'm selling not to um, necessarily um, health enthusiasts right. as much as people who are really desperate to knock off the pounds. So it was kind of like pick your poison. Uh, if I, You know, uh, I'll, I'll include the Splenda, and, and there'll be a lot of other ingredients later on that we got involved with that weren't necessarily... Uh, you know, natural and organic right. and all that. Right. But I thought that the obesity was the worst of the two evils, and let, and people really wanted the taste satisfaction. It's a, one of the big issues I think having to do with the low carb food business was the taste and texture aspect. Yes. And the pleasure that people get from food, and um, we went for taste and for texture. And we didn't mind putting the Splenda in, but I, I'm not even sure today whether I would include uh, stevia because it just, the sweet factor was not uh, 
as uh, the sleep profile was not as um, enjoyable, let's say, as Splenda. It seems like a lot of the latest low-carb products that are out there, and we're going to get back to the keto story here in a minute, but this is just fascinating to me. A lot of the latest products that are out there uh, sold to low-carb consumers tend to use uh, nowadays kind of a, a, a stevia erythritol blend. That seems to be the blend du jour of the moment that's being used in a lot of products being marketed as a more natural alternative to some of these artificial sweeteners that are out there. I, I, I can sympathize with that, and I think because of the, con the contraction of the low-carb marketplace, uh, you again have the people who are still following low-carb diets are more, uh, more uh, composed of health enthusiasts and informed um, consumers, right. and they don't want Splenda, they don't want artificial ingredients. But I think once you broaden the, the appeal, like we had uh, uh, back in um, 2004 and three, mm -hmm. and you're dealing more with a broader population, they're not driven so much by health concern. They're driven by taste and texture. Well, can't you get that same taste and texture using these more natural ones than trying to turn to an artificial sweetener? Um, I, I think that's the, the I, I hear what you're saying, that those of us who are in the community, uh, paleo, low carb, we already know what's good and what's not and why artificial sweeteners probably aren't the best. What you're saying is there's a wider market out there that, that's consuming gobs and gobs of sugar. Let's get them off of sugar, get them on something that tastes good. But at the same time, we'll get them off of the sugar and use it as a transitionary type of thing. Very likely, yeah. And a, and a lot of those folks are won't even be transitionary. They'll, they'll just say, this tastes great. It doesn't have sugar, and I'm losing weight. And so, I, you know, it was a kind of a, you know, do, do we go with something like the erythritol and, 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 uh, and the stevia that doesn't quite have the taste satisfaction, mm -hmm. but is healthier, or do we go with the Splenda that may have some risk factors or may not be the best thing, but that kind of knocks the ball out of the park in terms of taste satisfaction, and uh, I thought it was more important that we have folks, have the product appeal to folks and help them with their weight. That was a bigger risk than, let's put it this way, obesity is a bigger risk, way bigger risk than Splenda. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here, uh, here. I, I totally agree with that. And I would even say that a lot of the beverage manufacturers, especially the soda companies, are jumping on the same bandwagon of, hey, let's make it taste good, even if it's diet, uh, and people will drink it even though it's diet because it tastes good. I'm thinking about you know a lot of the Coke Zero that has the Ace K and the, uh, the, the blends in there to try to make it taste like a real cola. Uh, we're seeing that trend happening uh, right now. Yes, and um, it's desperately needed. I mean, 34% of the American population over 20 is obese. Yeah. Uh, it's just, I, I, and also I want to point out that the, the obesity epidemic is actually a threat to the entire nation uh, because when you look at the, the cost, it's, uh, six, healthcare costs are 16% of our gross national product oh, yeah. today. And so it's, it's really causing the United States uh, to... Um, become economically weaker 
which is which has other implications. So it's a huge problem, huge. Yeah, there are some people though that have some concerns about artificial sweeteners, uh, just in general, because uh, they do tend to, in studies, um, slow weight loss for some people and even uh, spike insulin levels in other people. So I, I guess it's kind of a mixed bag. I I get the whole transition thing and definitely support it. Getting people off of sugar is first and foremost what we need to be doing but at some point we also need to get them off of artificial and onto more natural ways to sweeten or no sweet at all i guess is the ultimate goal that that's kind of been my journey trying to get off of any sweet whatsoever um except on occasion well you know that's admirable and i and i think you you know obviously you and, and a lot of other folks make the connection between sacrificing taste and, and the even paying more uh, for a health benefit. Right. But as I said before, when you get into the broader population, uh, diet, food, is, is really one of the only push-button pleasures out there in life. Hmm. And it becomes a huge hot button for people if the taste and texture satisfaction isn't there. And that's a compromise you were willing to make when you created these shakes for keto. Uh, why don't we get back to the keto story? So you, you started selling hand over fist these keto shakes that uh, Pete Maletto had created. Uh, tell us a little more about that story. Well, um, we, we saw that the shake was popular. Um, I knew the uh, scientific uh, you know, I could connect the scientific dots between uh, elevated insulin levels and fat storage. Uh, um, then in the year 2000, the National Institute of Health came out and said that one out of three children born today, meaning back in 2000, would um, be diagnosed with diabetes. And I could see that really we had a terrible health epidemic and an obesity epidemic. And so uh, let's just say I got low-carb religion based on my own experience with it. And um, I thought uh, to myself, and I said it to the staff as we were building the company, you know, what if, what if you could save or extend one life yeah. in your lifetime with what you did with your career? And here we have a chance to improve the quality of life, extend life, and even save lives. So we were really, really on a mission. And what happened then was we started, and MP was really a prime mover in this, we started to develop, he started to develop things like low-carb pancake mixes, low-carb muffins, um, eventually low-carb ketchup. And we, we were just knocking out one after another until finally we had 140 different low-carb products. Wow. And actually, we were second only to Atkins in the marketplace. Wow. So it was huge. It became huge, yeah. We were a tiny little company, and we were growing uh, enormously. And, and frankly, uh, Atkins was having trouble keeping up with the demand. And uh, we were, uh, you know, basking you know, in the halo effect of Atkins' success. And um, we had a chance... Uh, to really uh, not be Coca-Cola, but we thought we, we had a good chance of being Pepsi-Cola. Yeah. So where did this name Keto come from? Obviously, Ketogenic, uh, it's a play on that, but, but how did the name Keto uh, come to be? Well, you know, it's probably uh, the power of the unconscious mind. Uh, 
if you recall back, I, I guess it was the late nineties. There was the uh, this is it's a little embarrassing, but but kind of funny. Uh, there was the OJ trial. Yeah. And uh, one of the characters in the trial, one of the witnesses was Cato Kalin. Yes. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> probably I had been reading about ketosis and the ketogenic diet. And I left the office one day and said to our reception, receptionist, Lila, I said, uh, uh, what do you think of keto? You know, and she um, laughed and I didn't think anything of it. And the next morning when I came in, uh, she she said, uh, keto, keto, keto. And I thought, wow, she remembered it. That was my marketing research. <laughs> she actually remembered it and uh, kind of rolled off the tongue. And, it, and, and um, I thought a lot of people were familiar with the name Cato, Keto, uh, because it had been, you know, Cato was over the, the very unusual name and it was kind of millions of people were exposed to it. And that's how it happened. I had to come up with something quick because we were coming out with the shake. So we have O.J. Simpson's trial to thank for the name of your company. That's hilarious. I love it. And, and, and actually, the funny, not so funny part about it was um, later on, uh, Nature's Plus came out with a product called Keto Slim. Uh-huh. And uh, we, we believed that they were infringing upon our trademark. And yeah. we initiated a, a huge and quite expensive trademark lawsuit, which we prevailed and we, we, we won. And uh, I told that story to the jury, and uh, it was, you know, obviously believable, and they didn't think that the keto was uh, something in the public domain. Right. But uh, keto, slim, keto Slim is still on the market, though. Hmm. Because that happened around the tail end of uh, uh, the keto epics journey. Right. So at, at one point, you got to the level of selling more than 50,000 cans of shakes a month. Now, these were ready to drink, right? Not the ones you had to make out of powder. Oh, no, that was the powdered formulation. Oh, the powder, okay. Now, oh, wow. The, um, the aseptic containers, those pop-up shakes, they, they were very popular, too. I can't recall how many, but we were just selling truckloads. Right, and you had, uh, you said, over 140 products at that point. Everything was going great. It was just really taken off. Uh, over several years, you grew from zero to over uh, $50 million annually. Did I get that right? Yeah, it was about three and a half, three, three and a half years, we went from zero to a 50 million rate. And so you you had all these products going, you had lots of science behind all the things that you were doing, the media was doing a lot of pro-low-carb things, everybody was getting on the low-carb bandwagon, and then, <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Well, uh you know, I, I, I think that there was a great transition in, in, uh, in 2003, heading into 2004. 2003, uh, the, the tragic uh, death of Dr. Atkins uh, falling on a street in New York, and I think it was March, uh, that, was a, that was a real shocker. Uh, the markets continued. Everything seemed normal. Uh, the company Keto was at a crossroads because we had penetrated just about every health food store in the nation, uh, and um, including GNC, the big chains. And Atkins was introducing into the supermarket class of trade and what they call the mass. Right. And um, we knew from our own research that a very significant uh, number of low-carb enthusiasts were streaming into health food stores 
simply because they could not find the products on supermarket shelves. And they were reporting that it, this was a, a very inconvenient for them. And we thought that, uh, without a doubt, that we needed to penetrate supermarkets and the mass market or be left behind and actually see the company uh, shrink in size. Right. And so for uh, business reasons, but also because we, we were certainly on a mission, um, we answered the call of the big supermarket chains, and we started, as they say, loading in keto products onto supermarket shelves. Um, grabbing the shelf space, grabbing the supermarket real estate was essential because uh, there's a thing called first mover advantage. Right. So we had to kind of either grow or perish in a sense. And so we did. At the same time, the media was really trumpeting the benefits of low carb. Uh, and as a background to all this, the big multinational food companies like Kraft and Unilever and so on were under increasing pressure from their boards of directors and the funds that owned uh, zillions of shares, uh, they were, and also from the financial press. They were under a lot of pressure to perform and answer uh, questions about what they were going to do about the um, low-carb trend. And so we thought that... Um, that they would want to acquire uh, a very high-tech uh, company like Keto mm -hmm. or perhaps introduce their own products, which we thought would take them too long. But in fact, in the first quarter of 2004, uh, many of the multinational food companies also entered the fray and um, put a lot of product on supermarket shelves along with Atkins and Keto. And... Due to the overwhelming media barrage, millions and millions of Americans who had never, uh, would never walk into a health food store now had low-carb foods available on the shelves of the supermarket. These millions of people very likely had not read the books, like the Atkins books or many of the other great books right. that were out there, uh, and they simply made their first trial purchase of low-carb foods, and they paid more than they would for the high-carb counterpart. And I think in a lot of instances, millions and millions of, of these first-time buyers were uh, disappointed with the taste and texture. Right. Um, that's my theory. Um, they certainly wouldn't go back for another try from another company. And uh, the market for low-carb spiraled downward to the point where just, I, I can only think of one competitor uh, Matt Atkins, who still is around, uh, but with a much smaller selection. In fact, Atkins declared bankruptcy in uh, right. 05. Right. So we avoided bankruptcy, but um, the, the market for low-carb foods uh, basically collapsed. It was like, it was like well, the dot-com uh, collapse. I it, would it say that the market, for, the market for low-carb foods did not collapse. The market for crap low-carb foods did collapse. And I think well, that's what people you, you, were responding to. This way. Um, there's an old saying uh, that, um, you know, on Wall Street, that, that when the paddy wagon pulls up, it takes the good girls with the bad. Right. Uh, so what happens is that there were quality companies that got harmed uh, a lot. Indeed. And Tito was one of them in the downdraft. Right. Yeah, so, so, so I think we, whole, we had the high ground, in my opinion, we right. had the high ground in terms of taste and texture technology. Well, the low-carb food fad 
is I think what has given people a bad taste in their mouth about the low-carb food industry. It was that whole fad when Kraft and Unilever and all these big companies started getting involved. And I'll even throw in Atkins because they put some crap ingredients in their products now um, that I think they should clean up and make more like keto did. Um, It's unfortunate that they've chosen the path of making cheaper ingredients, um, they could certainly do better and they should do better being the market leader. Um, and that's one thing that you always, a, a, as a company, Keto always uh, held to was that high standard of quality and of these companies that make these products um, would just stick with that philosophy of, you know, what, we're not going to compromise. You, we're not going to use soy in our products. We're not going to use these crap ingredients. We're going to make it taste good, not like cardboard, so people try it once and then they never try it again. I, I think that's what really let the whole low-carb uh, food movement down. Well, I think you're exactly uh, on target there. And uh, I, I've always wondered about how uh, Kraft and Unilever and the rest of these very large companies rushed the, their low-carb products to market because it's pretty well known in the multinational food business that they do a lot of R&D and taste panel testing before they introduce a new product. And in fact, uh, these panels have to give us 85% thumbs up, we like it, result before they will introduce a product. And uh, I can tell you that their, their R&D budgets are, were bigger than the sales of uh, Atkins and Keto combined. So they, mm-hmm. they certainly knew what they were doing. And I think that they were just, either it was a knee-jerk reaction, but whatever it was, the introduction of substandard products uh, certainly um, caused the stampede away from low-carb, in my opinion. Hi, I'm Christine Moore, Jimmy Moore's wife, and I'm here today to tell you about the Nutritional Therapy Association and why I decided to go through their Nutritional Therapy Practitioner Program. I figured, well, this will be a great opportunity for me to maybe possibly be able to help people with their nutritional issues and anything that they might be going through. Just the thought of me having to learn stuff again, it was intimidating. I didn't think that I would be able to do it. didn't think that I would be able to retain the stuff that I was learning and I would have a hard time on the quizzes and the tests. The NTA is looking for more keto practitioners. They believe in real food. They do not frown upon good, healthy fats. They believe that they should be a healthy part of the diet. The most gratifying part of the program has been getting to meet a bunch of like-minded people who are interested in nutrition. A lot of us came into this program with health issues of our own that we wanted to try to fix. The material that we're learning is just absolutely incredible. I thought I knew a lot about nutrition, but going through this program, there's so much more to it than what I actually knew. We learn about anatomy and physiology, so we learn about how things work in the body how vitamins and minerals affect the body. So it's just been a great program. Anyone should do this program. It's a nine-month program that can pretty much fit into anybody's schedule. I mean, we have people that have children, full-time jobs going through this. So it's very flexible with your schedule. If you're thinking about it and not sure, I would highly recommend you go through it. Join the Nutritional Therapy Association today at nutritionaltherapy.com. 
One of the hottest products to hit the ketogenic market in years is Real Good Pizza. Visit realgoodfoods.com and be sure to use the coupon code JIMMY. You'll get free shipping and 10% off your order. So what is Real Good Pizza? It's a pizza that's made out of a crust of chicken breast and Parmesan cheese. And they also recently launched a brand new breakfast pizza offering in bacon and sausage flavors. They're also, get this you guys, in 2,000 Kroger family grocery stores nationwide. Again, it's called Real Good Pizza. Go to realgoodfoods.com, enter the coupon code JIMMY at checkout, and you'll get 10% off and free shipping. Real Good Pizza. We all know how important fat is on a ketogenic diet. So it's time to meet the keto gang at pureindianfoods.com. Pure Indian Foods has 12 delicious fats and oils for your healthy, low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic lifestyle. So what is grass-fed ghee, you ask? I'm glad you asked. It's also known as clarified butter and is a fabulous source of fat-soluble vitamins like vitamins A, D, and K2. It's an excellent omega-3 to omega-6 ratio of less than 2. It is extremely low in polyunsaturated fats and as such is a perfect cooking fat. It literally, you guys, smells just like buttered popcorn. Pure Indian Foods is a fifth-generation family-owned ghee business and now they have 12 different varieties and flavors for your healthy ketogenic lifestyle. So meet the whole keto gang at pureindianfoods.com and be sure to use the coupon code JIMMY at checkout and you'll get 10% off your first order. Pure Indian Foods. So when you tried to keep up with what Atkins was doing, um, what happened from there? Because that seems to be when things started going downhill for keto. And, and you told me in an email, in hindsight, it's always 2020. <laughs> uh, you, you wish things had turned out differently. Tell us that story. Well, we, um, we kept developing uh, food products uh, at the rate of uh, sometimes two, uh, launching two a month, which is unheard of. Mm -hmm. And again, I want to point out, because we had our own manufacturing facilities and our own in-house state-of-the-art research and development facilities, we could streamline the whole development process. Um, and we eventually grew to 140 products, and beyond that, we started to develop uh, products for, uh, to license uh, to other um, manufacturers in air in channels of distribution, like frozen pizza, for example, we weren't going to go into that business. Ice cream, uh, we licensed that. We even had low carb hot pockets oh my. and low carb uh, croissants that were just amazing uh, that we were ready to license. And donuts. And uh, you know, for the listeners out there, licensing is 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 one of the most wonderful things. You're just collecting royalties, and uh, you're reaching uh, new markets and new customers. And uh, we were well on our way to building quite a, a successful food company. And um, as I mentioned before, the concern was the multinationals, and we thought that we could grow even faster and protect ourselves from the multinationals by being acquired. Uh, because we were getting feelers from Wall Street. Atkins had been sold the year before for $600 million to Goldman Sachs, and uh, we thought that the multinationals were like a big freight train coming down the track. We better get out of the way or join forces with them. 
So uh, we didn't in, in time. I mean, we hired Bear Stearns, and we were about 90 days away from selling the company when the markets turned violently downward. Hmm. And uh, it was a shocker for everybody. When was that? Uh, that would be the first quarter of '04. Okay. Which is interesting. That's that's exactly when I started the Atkins diet. <laughs> I didn't know <laughs> anything about the whole uh, low-carb uh, food uh, manufacturing movement at all when I started low-carb in January of 2004. I was totally oblivious to it. <laughs> and so that, that tells you how you know, you're caught up in the middle of it, uh, but most people probably weren't even paying attention. <laughs> You know, I do, I do want to say that there are probably some real enthusiasts out there who, who have followed keto. And uh, you know, one of the things that we, that we did was we, we reinvested uh, virtually all of our profits back into that company and back into R&D. Yeah. And not only that, we, we had this feeling that uh, uh, we could become... Uh, we could become a very important part of a much larger company. We prepared ourselves for acquisition uh, because we um, we believed that there was going to be a historic shift in food standards uh, in the United States and perhaps around the world. Uh, what what haunted me at the time, though was that I didn't think that uh, large populations could afford to eat high-protein, low-carbohydrate diets, uh-huh. but that I thought that the science aspect of it would help reduce costs over time. Uh, because, you know, right now, we, we have the largest uncontrolled dietary experiment in the history of mankind. We have, there are a lot of novel foods out in the marketplace, and we have rocketing uh, rates of obesity, and part of it is getting back to the paleo diet that you mentioned earlier. Yep. Uh, that we're we're just not, we're just not eating a human diet. When you look at the macronutrient content that most people are eating today, uh, evolution has not prepared us for this diet. And when I say novel foods, just something like uh, the mass quantities of orange juice that people drink today. Yes. If if you tell somebody that orange juice is a new a relatively new human food, they look at you kind of cross-eyed. But if you think that frozen juice concentrate technology is only about 60 years old, yeah. and you have people drinking orange juice with mass quantities of carbs and sugars in it, uh, like it was water, you could see that um, this is not what humans have been eating for 10 or 20,000 years. I mean, if they found an orange, if they were lucky enough, they would eat it with the fiber as a whole fruit. Right. So you have a lot of these new foods, the juice boxes with 40 grams of carbs per box that they're feeding kids. I mean, it's, to me, it's, it's, it's almost like a tobacco situation. A lot of this should not be on, on, on the shelves of supermarkets, a lot of those products. You know, and I'm seeing a, a shift happening in our culture, you know, thanks to people like Dr. Robert Lustig, who've been out there pretty prominently on television. Uh, he was on 60 Minutes a few months back, and then Gary Taubes has been out there, you know, uh, preaching the message uh, of low-carb out there in the mainstream as well. I, I sense that there's a shift, and I think it is happening first with sugar. Um, they're not getting the connection of those foods that turn the sugar in the body, like starches and things like that. Um, but sugar is definitely being demonized now in modern culture more than ever before. And I think for good reason. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when we talk about evolution, you know, the human body hasn't changed much 
our physiology hasn't changed in 20,000 years, essentially. Yeah. We're walking around in hunter-gatherer bodies, but we're, we've got this high-tech food that we're eating, and the results of that are seen in the statistics. Yeah. And the, the statistics are not very, um, uh, very encouraging. Uh, obesity is in, uh, increases the risk for heart disease, cancer, uh, hypertension. Um, but I think that, again, that's the pleasure button. We, we've all had our, our weight struggles through the years, I think most people. And um, it's not an easy road to hoe. And this is, again, going back to the taste satisfaction issues for low-carb foods. Right. If you can deliver something that tastes great, people, that's the first thing, taste satisfaction. People will even pay more. But I think that um, it's a huge pleasure button. And if the low-carb foods are healthy and most of all that they taste great, people are going to get results. So you think taste is better than nutritional profile? Well, when you get into the larger population, folks that are not health enthusiasts per se, people who are not informed, they're driven by taste satisfaction more than anything. So why not put sugar in it? When you have the, the people who are the centers of the circle of interest, the people who are really interested in nutrition and health, they will sacrifice taste and they will even pay more because they can connect the benefit uh, to the sacrifice. But when you get into the mass, it's all taste-driven. And the big food companies know that. So is the government partially to blame for why low-carb is still stigmatized? Um, It it seems like with the promotion that they went from the food pyramid to now the my plate that's out there that's got these four quadrants that uh, it's pretty absurd if you ask me what they're trying to get people to eat. Um, it, it seems like that they are a big reason why low carb has such a hard time breaking through into the mainstream. Well, the role of the government, it, it, I, I would call that the, these, these food pyramids and these quadrants, and it's a sand dance. It's shameful bordering on criminal. Hmm. The, the reason for it are, uh, the reasons are complex and they're, they're numerous. One reason, which is a big reason, is special interests. The food industry is enormous and has enormous political influence. Uh, so they're the interests of big food connected to farmers, of course, and the livelihoods of millions of people, not to mention the power of the big food companies. That's one concern. Another concern is if, if the food policy uh, and food standards of the United States were based on real science, we would see something more resembling the Paleolithic diet, the caveman diet, if you will, something that is high, high in protein. Uh, well, let's go back to the Iceman. The, the, the argument is that the ideal human diet is 65% protein, 35% leafy vegetables, nuts, berries and seeds well it would be it would let's say it could be the equivalent nutritional profile of what would be the hunter-gatherer diet the problem there is it would be the government would then if the government based their food standards on science that would be more that would resemble more a high protein diet if that were to occur 
millions, tens of millions of Americans could not afford to eat that diet. As a result, there would be a nation of nutrition haves and a nation of nutrition have-nots. That would become public. Right now, that's kind of the elephant in the room. We have highest rates of obesity, disease, and early mortality in the poorest states, in the states with the least education. And so we're, we're really relegating millions of people to early disease and mortality to death because, A, they don't have the information, or they have the wrong information about diet, and B, they don't have the income and the wherewithal to feed themselves a healthy diet. I hate to say this. I mean, I hesitate to say this, but it, it, it's a kind of a nutritional holocaust. The cost in human terms, you know, when you go out on the street today or you go into a shopping mall and you see the numbers of people who are really clinically obese, when you, when you hear the news about uh, we have to build special ambulances, uh, uh, special toilets have to be installed, bariatric toilets and so on and so forth, this has never been seen before mm-hmm. in any culture in the world. We have a real crisis here, and again, there's no political will because we have a country that, uh, uh, where the politicians, many of whom are well-meaning, they're just, they just have their hands tied because it's the great struggle between uh, uh, jobs, financial well-being, and really the status quo. Yeah. And health. And, and uh, really what people know to be true. Exactly. Well, Arn, after keto went away, uh, what, what happened to all the formulations that you guys had, uh, I guess Pete had come up with, to uh, what happened to them? Because a lot of people have written me and said, why don't they just make the formulation available to another company? Uh, did this big uh, company that purchased you guys, uh, what was it, Bear Stearns, uh, did, do they still own that, or who has that? Well, unfortunately, uh well, Bear Stearns was our, our Wall Street um, representative. They didn't purchase. I got we you. never did sell the company. I got you. Okay. Uh, there were about 12 different buyers. Uh, you know, you're talking to a guy who was uh, 90 days away from selling his company for $300 million. Yes. <laughs> and the thing went down. <laughs> we didn't meet our targets, and uh, the 12 buyers were lined up. Uh, they were, some people expected the sale to go through as high as $400 million. Right. I also want to point out the company had one stockholder, me. Hmm. And um, the fact is that we, we never did sell the company, um, we never did go bankrupt because we didn't have much debt, but the sales plummeted to such a rate that we couldn't support our infrastructure, 186,000 square feet, 140 employees. Uh, we just had to close our doors and, and say goodbye. Yeah. And pay off our vendors, and, and, and it was just a crushing blow. But we, um, you know, it's kind of like flying in an airplane. If, if the RPMs go down to a certain point, the airspeed goes to a certain point, you just either have to land or you're in trouble. Yeah. So we didn't want to hurt a lot of folks. We, we, we just quietly closed our doors. Uh, we did have, um, uh, for a company our size, rather small debt of a couple of million bucks or so, but we, we um, made a deal with our bank 
and they wound up with the trademark and the formulations, and they've done nothing with it. Wow. That's a shame. Because I mean, I've thought, recently I've thought about um, getting back in, and, and my, uh, I mean, I, 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 I uh, at the point, at the time the keto went uh, down and we closed our doors, I was 58, and uh, I had ha- had other careers and had been successful, and I decided to move from New Jersey to New Mexico and slow down quite a bit because uh, it was really a huge blow to me personally, uh, because it wasn't just a business. Uh, to me, this was a, you know I'm a child of the 60s. This was this was a chance to do something really, really important with my life. So change it the world. Was a disappointment. Yep, change the world. But that's right. And, I, and I've thought of recently about getting back in, and, uh, but the keto name, uh, it's questionable whether that could be used and rather doubtful. But that wasn't really the problem. Uh, the, the issue is, you know, getting back in and the idea of um, vertically integrating uh, and manufacturing our own product is, is really too steep a hill to climb right now. You could do what Prince did. The, the company formerly known as Keto. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can we can say that, but we can't brand. We can't, certainly can't brand it, brand the name. Uh, you know, Keto. And yeah. uh, but but I I think that that experience uh, has has changed my life. And I, I really wanted to give a shout out and uh, to Gary Taubes because T A U B E S. He's really, I don't know what the proper term would be, but he's the guy, uh, the go-to guy, if you really want to educate yourself, um, check out Gary Taubes online, and and he's the one that's speaking out right now. He should be testifying before Congress. He should be out there getting the word out, and he is, but more people need to know about him and his work. Yeah, I I, I think I've heard of him before somewhere, so... (laughs) I'm just kidding. Yeah, right. He's, he's been on this he's, show uh, many times. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's one of my favorites out there today. Well, Gary, like I said, Gary Taubes and uh, and Robert Lustig, Dr. Robert Lustig, uh, both are really getting a lot of media attention, shining a light on these issues that we've been talking about today. And uh, certainly, Arn, we're very happy to have heard the story uh, behind the story of keto and what happened to it. And uh do know that you do have a lot of people that still ask about you all these years later. I mean, it's, uh, what what was that, 2004 when that happened? This is 2012. So eight years later, people have still ask me, hey, whatever happened to keto? Well, hopefully after today's podcast, uh, people have a little bit better grasp on exactly what happened and, uh, and looking into the future uh, that you know, you have a desire to bring back the, uh, at, at least the products of keto to the marketplace again, because now more than ever, we need this. Uh, I, I agree. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, it's really something that we all need to think about. But I, but I do want to say that, um, and, and I'm preaching to the choir here now, but you can greatly reduce your carbohydrate intake. It's just that these foods that are really analogs for high-carb foods, these replacement foods, make it easier. But even without them, you can greatly reduce carbs and get a, a terrific benefit. I, I myself find that if I go 50 grams of carbs or under a day, mm-hmm. I, I'm cool. It's great. 
You know, for and that's me, what it's... I watch, and and I think it's only a week or two of uh, uh, of discomfort, or or a week or two that you miss the sugar, or your taste uh, buds adjust, and your weight plummets. It's expensive because you'll need to buy a lot of new clothes. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, it's actually around twenty grams. Um, my story was I used to be over four hundred pounds, so I find that I'm extremely sensitive, not just to carbohydrate but even larger amounts of protein so i have to keep my fat high my protein moderate and my carbohydrates pretty minimal for a truly ketogenic diet i've been testing blood ketones instead of the urine to make sure that i'm in a certain nutritional ketosis it's it's really fascinating now more than ever low carb science uh, is out there that would you know dictate that there would be companies that would make products that would fit within that mold of high fat moderate protein low carb and there are a few companies out there that are doing that are you aware of any that are doing uh, good work that you want to share uh, no actually I'm not familiar I'm sure there are uh, out there but I'm not as familiar as I was and certainly the the companies that I was familiar with are either like with Atkins, a lot smaller, or they're simply gone. Right. Yeah, there are a few new ones that have come since uh, the end of keto, uh, but not many. And I think that 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 kind of makes your point of low carb, the trend, uh, pretty much died off. And there were various reasons why that happened. But there are some pockets of smaller companies starting to be like keto was way back when, um, that are making an impact, providing really quality products. I think they've learned the lessons from 2004 that the uh, on influx of uh, crap low-carb products is not what people want. They want the quality, want it to taste good, want the texture to be right, all of those things that you talked about. But they do want it to be good quality ingredients as well. So it's it's kind of a, the 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 level of sophistication that's happening with the marketplace, even on a broader scale. I think has changed since when you were in business. Oh, absolutely. And and one of the uh, one of the aspects that was driving our business was the development of of low carb ingredients. Like for example, resistant starches, pretty yeah. high tech thing where it's very low in carb, but it has the mouthfeel and the texture of the, it allows you to, to create a, a fantastic texture. A lot of that development um, went by the wayside as the market contracted. But again, you know, repeating myself, uh, at the risk of repeating myself, it's really a taste-driven situation. And then after that, a price situation, because I think... There are a lot of people who would love to buy uh, low-carb pasta or have low-carb pancakes again. I know I would, or low-carb hot cereal that we, that we ours was so good. Um, but then again, there are millions and millions of people who aren't couldn't afford that necessarily. And I think today, where you have such inequality, we, there are a, lar- a very large number of affluent people who want the low-carb foods back. But again, if you look at the obesity rates uh, in the poorer states, that's where you have real epidemic proportions. So I think it, it's, it's kind of a chicken and egg situation. I think as, as volumes recover, and I think low-carb has got to come back, uh, and I would encourage anybody who wants to start a low-carb food company, do it, because the time is right again. It's never been better. 
And I think that as these volumes increase, raw materials become more plentiful, yeah. prices come down, the technology increases, and the food will taste even more and more like its high-carb counterpart. And, again, be more affordable. That's, that's the key. But uh, lives are at stake, and I think you're a great example of it. Obviously, you saved your own life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think another key in this whole thing is to make sure that it's truly a low-carb product. I've tasted, and I'm going to name names here because I put it on my blog, but Dreamfield's pasta spikes blood sugar just like white pasta does. And I, I think it's products like that and low-carb breads. I did Julian Bakery. It's a big uh, low-carb. They promote themselves as a low-carb bread company, and I've tried their breads and they spiked my blood sugar. I think people have to be very careful uh, about just seeing low carb as a label and taking it at its word and not really doing the test to see if it's truly low carb. I think that's another issue that's at hand for low carb manufacturing is make sure if you're going to put that LC word on there, it better darn well be LC. That's true. And uh, many times, I mean, the, the, the macronutrient testing, which is the testing that determines what's on the, uh, the panel, the nutrition panel. And, and again, people really need to inform themselves and know how to read that panel. Uh, but but uh, the point is, that's expensive. And sometimes little food companies don't always do what they should be doing. So I think you're exactly right. Be really careful about where you buy your low-carb food products. And test, test, test. I mean, it's so easy to go buy a glucometer these days. And if your blood sugar is getting spiked 40, 50 points after eating this low-carb food, it ain't good for you. <laughs> nope. No. <laughs> well, Arn Bay, thanks so much for joining us here today on the Living La Vida Low-Carb Show and telling us the story of keto, uh, the rise in the fall, um, and hopefully the rise again in the coming years. Well, we'll see. <laughs> Coming up next time on the Live in La Vida Low Carb Show, we'll have the author of a brand new book called The Everyday Ketogenic Kitchen. Her name, Carolyn Ketchum. Get show notes for today's episode at theliveinlowcarbshow.com. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review at iTunes. Thanks for listening to the Live in La Vida Low Carb Show. We'll see you next time. Disc.